enjoying a few well-earned comforts. Hello, Grumsworth. Hello, Berlock. And hello to all of you, our fine assemblage of listeners, uh, to the preamble, your every so often digest of all things hobby. That's right. That is exactly what it's going to be for you guys this week. We're going to be opening up our decrepit old hobby journals once more, so you can have a little peek around, rummage inside their pages. We're going to have a little bit of an exploration of the mountains of Faerun. We've been adventuring, haven't we? We have. Yep. We have. And then we're going to take a slight detour um, and we're going to butcher a flying lamb. What do you think to that, Burlock? <laughs> that sounds quite exciting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got butterfly wings, everyone. Oh, so perfect. <laughs> make of that what you will. So let's pop open that hobby journal and see what Burlock's been up to this week. Me? Oh, goodness. Go on, you. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's been um, a blast from the past. As it now? Yeah, as, as, as most of my hobby is, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've played a game of 40k. Um, second edition 40k. Wow, okay. Yeah, I played it with somebody who, uh, a good friend of mine, mm. who isn't, um, how you'd say, one of the Oldman's gang. He's, he's not one of the Oldman's gang? He's one of Newman's gang, but a very fine fellow. Okay. Um, who was very Fine. open to the idea, yeah, very open to the idea of playing uh, an older version of the game that he's come to love recently. So he, he loves himself some of the uh, some of the eighth edition forty k. Um, he's going to be uh, you know throwing himself full throttle into ninth. But I took his foot off the gas and said, "Come back in time with me, <laughs> yeah. Um, and let's play a game from the uh, hallowed pages of Games Workshop's past." In an old version of 40k and he, you know the good thing about playing older versions of these games is that we've all got the miniatures anyway yeah, yeah and just write up a new army list familiarize yourselves with the rule if you can rules if you can if not have a go with someone like yourself who's played an awful lot of second edition 40k over the years yeah and uh, and we, we had a go we uh, we he came over one afternoon uh, it was a lovely day we set out a um six by four table okay yeah um lots of scenery on there um some of the scenery that uh, i've uh, shown off proudly on some past episodes of the preamble. Um, so we got to actually nice. use the scenery that I've made. More on the way there as well, more scenery on the way, which I'll be happy to share with you uh, in, in the weeks to come. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I used my, my Space Marines. Um, I had uh, I fielded my own chapter, the Celestial Knights painted in uh, purple and bone, a successor chapter of the Dark Angels, given that they are um, my, uh, a chapter of my own devising. I could quite happily use them as a successor for any chapter. That's truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Provided that I've got did. the WYSIWYG for it, you know. Of course. Which of is the course. what you see is what you get, of course, for those who don't know. Well, WYSIWYG is if your character is equipped with a certain piece of war gear, it should probably be on the model somewhere. <laughs> That's right. If this guy's wandering around with the, uh, the fabled sergeant wielding a heavy bolter, <laughs> if, he's, if he's got that... That's what he uses. That's, That's no what he uses in game. That's, it's, yeah. not, it's not a chainsaw and bolt pistol. So uh, I used my Space Marines and um, he took a uh, contingent thousand points of Imperial okay. Guard. And so, of course, he told me that, well, if you're Dark Angels, you're obviously one of the fallen lot, aren't you? And you're a bit traitorous. And I said, no, 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 no. You lot are a bunch of traitor guard, obviously. So there we are. That sets the scene for the game, you know. Yeah, it's good. Too. Um, yeah. And so we we chose our our missions as you do in Second Ed Forty K. Uh, mm -hmm. um, had the uh, the equivalent equivalent of line breaker. He had to get some right. his missions yeah, yeah, into yeah. into my deployment zone. Um, I had uh, a taken hold objective, so I uh, had to claim a certain area of the battlefield and hold it. That's quite nice. Um, yeah, he fielded two Lehman Rust battle tanks against my Space Marines and. I didn't have a lot of tank stopping power other than a dreadnought. Um, and okay. really, I mean, the assault cannons in second Ed 40k, which was strapped to the other, or one of the arms of the dreadnought. It's a bit of a beast. You know, it rolls three sustained fire dice. Um, as a dreadnought, it gets to ignore the first jam that it rolls. Um, yeah, so, I remember them being just, that's a hell cannon, isn't it? That's... Yeah, um, good for chewing through units of infantry. 
Ah, you're not. It's not got a huge amount of tank stopping power though. So of course I've got oh, a, okay. I've got a, a, a tactical squad split into two combat squads. Uh, one of which has got a plasma gun and crack grenades. The other half has got a sergeant with a, a power fist and some crack grenades. So I've got a way to get. I've got to get close to these tanks to take them out. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I ended up, uh, you know, scratching a victory together quite solidly actually by the end of it. Um, bravely done brother yeah it was it was good and um but it it wasn't uh, so much of a a tabling that um he was put off wanting to play again which was nice (laughs) that's good news yeah yeah because that's always horrible isn't it it's especially when you're playing something you know a thousand points that's a nice game it's enough Mm. in any edition really that you can get the game played out fairly quickly you know, it's not so. I mean, I think fifteen hundred probably is the best size to play if you want to get a game done in sort of a half an afternoon. Um, but yeah, we took right, our time yeah. with this game, so it took it took us about two uh, two hours, two and a half hours. But we was enjoying each other's company as well. Plus, I was explaining a lot of the rules as we were going, of course, um, uh, which was nice because I would, I didn't have to explain the core concepts of this is a D six, this is this is a tape measure, this is how far yeah, they, yeah, these guys yeah. move. He understood a lot of the basic lingo, so Perfect, it wasn't yeah. so much of a leap that it was. A brand new experience although the game rules being as different as they are to how they used to be yeah, uh, was nice yeah. the way i described it to him in a nutshell was your entire army acts as a, uh, a massive group of individuals as opposed to set squads and units um yeah it was very much dependent on um the direction that you, each miniature within a squad was facing to determine their line mm-hmm. of sight so yeah so each uh, so that was the main tack i took with uh, explaining second ed 40k is that each of your guys are independent they still have to function as a squad and obey the rules of how squads work but think of them as individual guys so make sure you're the facing of your miniatures is, is careful you're careful with that um when casualties are removed from a round of shooting for example you only take the guys closest to the unit that's shooting yeah so really you really have to think about the micro as well as the macro uh, style of play when it comes to that that edition of 40k um, yeah, so there are some obvious bits that are a bit, hang on a minute, that, that rule's a little bit broken, or that <laughs> yeah, particular war yeah, year yeah, card. Yeah. I remember there was a, a particular strategy card that came out with the Dark Millennium um, expansion set, which was mostly focused on the psychic phase and the psychism, all that sort of thing. Yes, yeah. Um, but they also released a set of strategy cards that you could use um, to play uh, when, you know, a bit like stratagems, I think, as they've become in the more recent versions. In the modern day, yeah. yeah. And I think one was called Virus Outbreak. One essentially went off at a point that you chose, uh, and that's where the virus broke out. And yeah. if you if you were lucky with your dice rolls, this virus could chain through an entire squad, multiple Oof. squads, essentially your whole army. It was very very quick to uh, just totally decimate an army. And they, I think, in one of the White Dwarfs, <laughs> I think it was one where Jake Thornton was the editor. Dear old Jake. Yeah, with old Stephen Astoff and uh, Ian Pickstock. Do you remember that gang? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they said, um, take your virus outbreak cards, all you 40k gamers, and um, shred it, yeah. burn it, blow yeah. it up somehow, get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. We should never have written that card. So, yeah, with second ed 40k, there were some very obvious mistakes, I want to say, but yeah, yeah, there were some yeah. imbalances, shall we say, as a better way of putting it. But Either way, the uh, the game uh, was 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 great fun. Um, yeah, yeah and, and he had a great time, and, and he wants he wants to play again. That's the thing. There you go. Yeah. So so that that means it, it shook out lovely, didn't it? Mm. If he wants to come back and play again, I really like the idea of bringing someone who's invested and engaged with the current edition, mm. and then saying that you do know that this is being as we're up to eighth and and now ninth edition of forty k. There's a wealth of 40k games to choose from now and systems and they actually they don't necessarily change massively per edition but looking back from where we are now with it to those early days first second third it is like playing a different game right yeah it really is it really is um the strategies change points values change your army organization changes um So you really have to put a brand new hat on each time you play another version of 40k. It's it's really on, undergone uh, a great many changes over its It has, time. yeah. And I find, yeah, you're right. And I find that every edition really has its own charm. It does. Yeah, you know, they for, do all have their own charm. You're right. Yeah, that's that's part of the fun. That's part of the evolution is, of the game. It is, yeah. You know, and that's one of the one of the things that 
keeps people engaged in the hobby, keeps me involved in the hobby, um, is the evolution of these rule systems. You know, the the the, the core elements, the fluff, um, the armies involved, they're all the same. Some the tower, for example, they came out of nowhere. So things will be introduced, taken out. There may be. I heard some vicious rumours that the squats may be returning. I don't know. <laughs> Those are not vicious rumours. Like, <laughs> they will be they... more than welcome in my eyes. Well, actually, it, it will lead in slightly to the the hobby pages, even of my own journal. Well, so there has been a little bit of paint to brush action, a tiny bit more work, but it, but it has been I don't know maybe only a couple of hours at most, just getting a little bit more work done on my. Necromunda gang, the Knights of Doghead. Hopefully soon, I will be able to show them off as a complete gang. So we're not gonna we're not gonna go there. But I got a little bit more paint on those guys. They're nearing completion. We're near the final push, right? Very good. Yeah. Um, but so speaking about forty k there, I've been having a little look over the new edition ninth there. Uh, mm. It's kind of rules changes. Um, the general kind of direction that the game seems to have been moved in. Yep. And it's quite, having said previously, on this hallowed ground, the preamble podcast, having said, I will never paint a large army ever again. It, it, I've, I've kind of, I've started to um and ah. Well, you with, haven't. With, I have, Burlock, I have, with Ninth Edition, because it kind of, it looks like it's moved a little bit more towards the sort of game that I could enjoy playing. There's there's gonna be less there's gonna be less crazy kind of min maxing sort of builds for armies. Because I like to play like a narrative game and things like this and stuff. Games that are not terribly well balanced. I can enjoy those. Yeah. But I like to know that at some point in there there is a healthy tournament scene that you can take your army of choice along to and Whatever race you've chosen, um, whatever combination of units you've chosen, I, I like there to be a chance that it can do well competitively. It doesn't yeah. have to be like a, an absolute nightmare that just tables people on every occasion. I'd like to bring an army that, that looks like an army rather than, you know, four or five Imperial Knights, 10 Guardsmen scuttling around. And a random couple of Blood Angels captains. You know, <laughs> this doesn't. Um, at that point, are... though, even if they were painted to exceptional yeah. standards, just that mixture of miniatures that somehow is even legal as a choice yeah, in the game. Yeah, that's the problem. It yeah. just wouldn't do it for me at all. Sorry. No, no, nor <laughs> I. And that's why I, I didn't touch eighth or seventh or sixth yeah. with a barge pole. You know, just not interested in mm. in, in that sort of play. Ninth looks to have moved more along the lines, sort of thematic ones. It looks like you can build your armies in the way that might be plausible in a science fiction kind of universe. Mm. You know, there's there's once more there's a uh, a need for boots on the ground, so you're going to have infantry playing an important role rather than just sat at the back of the battlefield. Transports heavy armour, your tanks and such, they all seem to have got a little bit of a buff as well. So I think people will be taking more of those. Um, and the general structure with which you craft your army now, it seems much more open and sensible because of that. I've not played a game of it yet. No. Um, but I've done a little bit of research and, and it's I'm feeling quite positive about it. It's looking like it's going in a nice direction. So I've been sort of considering options, you know, thoughts just drop into my you know misfiring synapses just like wake up one day hang on you should paint an adeptus mechanicum army that's what you should do now then what you need to do you need to dissolve all of your assets to buy all the miniatures yeah um and then you need to you know break down all your life relationships so you've got time to paint them all right that's right, of course. Um, I mean, that's that's the uh, that's the right of passage into any new army, isn't it? That's right, Burlock. Um, but then, uh, you know, then more stable thoughts enter my little old head, and I oh, think yes. to myself, okay, now, now, hold your horses, Grumsworth. Let's let's not get you know, let's not get silly with this. So I kind of I thought, uh, 
there's quite a lot of armies out there that look quite pretty. I kind of like the theme of, and I could probably bash out a fairly, I'll say a, a quick, um, a quick paint job that I could enjoy having them on the table um, to get used to playing them, you know. Maybe um, inspired by our last episode talking about the, the dip technique, perhaps. Which I really like the idea of. And after that conversation, the 10 orc challenge is something uh, that, <laughs> that I, I think we should definitely do. Maybe for, you know, right. maybe for the 10th episode of this um, Titanic endeavour. Goodness, what that far think? into the future. That oh, far uh, into the future, brother. Yeah. Well, I think I could get 10 orc boys dipped by then. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's on. Let's do it. <laughs> I actually I scrubbed orcs right off the list. Yeah, I'm not I'm not into doing a horde army. Much as I like to play them, that's not something that I'd ever consider. Yeah, you need um, lots of models for a horde army. You want to make more elite, more massively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't I don't want space marines. Not because I don't love them, um, but I just I'm not interested in painting them. Um, I, so I've, I've kind of I quite like the idea of a small elite force of harlequins. Well, quite tempted yeah yeah i think i i know that they're kind of quite fancy looking um or they can be but i've got a couple of color scheme ideas for them so i was looking at them mm. sort of thinking eh, yeah i could probably get on board with these guys yep. um uh, i really like the adeptus mechanicum so i was looking through their model range i mean there are some stinkers in there there is some really bad stuff in there i <sighs> think personally yeah I, I i think i'm probably on the same level as you on that front Things with wings or shoddy looking hovercrafts do not belong at the um the cradle of the Imperials technological might. They're, they're not meant to be there. Yeah, if it's got me. sails, if it's got sails on it or fabric, yeah. if I ever had that miniature to paint, I would paint all the armor plates to look like wood. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, that would be a treat, wouldn't it? Mm. Um okay then. Yeah, so there's a couple of armies. It's not going to be Space Marines. It might be Harlequins. It might be Admech. That'd be in your army composition, how you'd build it. You know, Absolutely, get your army list yeah, drawn yeah. up before you go That's out and it. purchase whatever yeah. you wanted to get. Yeah. Which is probably what I'm going to do anyway. Mm. Um, but you never know. If if suddenly a load of squats are released. <laughs> oh, yeah, straight there. <laughs> that might be straight there, yeah. You'd be behind me in the queue. Dwarfs. <laughs> you, you, I'll be jumping over your shoulders, Burlock. That's what I'll be doing. Give me your squats. Give me squats. Imagine that. I reckon maybe by the time they release anything, squat-wise, we'll be up to episode 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I've, I've basically spent my time doing a lot of hobby thinking, mm. which might not sound massively productive, but it's, you know, added another layer of thoughts I need to work through. So it, so it was kind of a, a week of loose planning, trying to get a perspective on uh, an old... Um, a, a game that I used to play um, and looking with fresh eyes on the new version of the system. Uh, and I think it'd be nice to engage with some, some players that I've not had a chance to play with before. People who've just been playing the recent editions. So it, it would be like a little bit of a new beginning into a hobby area that I had been before many years ago. But so, so this week we, um, we embarked on a, a hobby journey together, didn't we? Which was kind of like, a, 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 it required some planning, didn't it, brother? Mm. It also had a scattering of fresh meat, as fresh you might meat. say. Yeah, fresh meat. <laughs> um, and also a couple of seasoned types as well. Mm. Yeah. So we, 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 we got together, didn't we, with a group of, of new and veteran players and one veteran games master who is my fine comrade opposite me there, looking shifty, suspicious. As always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Burlock here yeah. run a, uh, a one-shot Dungeons & Dragons game for us. Um, and I think it's, it's worth having a little chat with you guys because it was quite interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, how it went, you know, what we thought of the whole thing. We haven't really had much of a chance to sort of debrief after the game, have we? So this no, probably actually could be like a live debrief, Grumsworth. Rock and roll. Yeah, we can talk about what we thought, what we liked, etc. Despised, <laughs> if there was anything. Oh, the list, <laughs> Burlock. The <laughs> list. Don't tell me. I've, I've changed my mind. <laughs> so if we're having a debrief, there's a couple of things that I would ask you about it, I think. Okay. Um, so just as a little bit of um, 
sort of background info here. Uh, there were four player characters and our fine games master, Mr. Burlock here. Um, two of us player characters were fairly seasoned at Dungeons and Dragons, but also other role play games as well. Um, and the other two players, yeah, never played a game they, before. Just to mention, Burlock here is a deeply experienced games master. I can you are I can, I can hold me own. I've played a lot of games, so yeah, I, I yeah I could say that I'm experienced enough to to embark on this kind of thing. You know, as you say, when you've got new players at the table, it, there are right. certain challenges involved with a table of that kind of um, dynamic. So along those lines, I think like one of the things that I would like to know um, is how did you sort of how did you decide on the setting, bearing in mind that you've got a mixed bag experience wise. Yeah, what was your thought process for, for conjuring up the setting? I think when it comes to the, the setting, when you've got experience behind you, you can adapt very quickly to whatever the, the, the GM's thrown at you. You generally have an idea about what game you're playing, whether it be sci-fi, fantasy or whatever. But for a new person, even those boundaries might be blurred. Okay, we're gonna play a fantasy game. They might think laser guns and, and space aliens or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I wanted to keep it familiar enough that a new player could immerse themselves in the world quite easily. Um, yeah. So my approach initially when discussing it with, with our new players was that, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you've ever seen The Lord of the Rings, it'll be a little bit like that, but potentially with just That's a bit, maybe a bit more magic. Um, and then I thought, yeah. well, to stop, to save me having to develop my own world from scratch, because this is only going to be a one shot game, um, which means a, a story that starts and finishes in the space of one evening or over one session of play. I thought, well, I'll use a, 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 an environment or world that's already been created. So I thought, well, what better than the Forgotten Realms? It's probably the most move. ubiquitous, the, the most commonly used for Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, the Forgotten Realms is uh, basically set on uh, the continent of Faerun. So people that might have played Baldur's Gate as a computer game, mm -hmm. the term Forgotten Realms will be familiar to you. That's where that was set. I thought, well, we'll keep it outside of a big bustling city because there's an awful lot of interactions that can happen. You can easily lose track of things in the city. So I thought I'll keep it a little bit more confined. Small village in the mountains to the north of Faerun, uh, the world's spine mountains where it was set um, and said, well, this is where it will begin. Um, so it was kept quite small, Perfect. fairly compact in an already existing world where there was plenty for me to draw from and adapt as I saw fit. So it meant that my workload wasn't so huge, <laughs> basically. Yeah. That's that really sensible, yeah. yeah. And having that, having that dynamic there meant that a group of four adventurers, um, I think a lot of my ch choices sort of hinged on what kind of characters you were going to be. Um, and you, you knew also that we were going to be playing with brand new players, didn't you? Did that have much of an impact on, on you for your character creation? I think so, yeah. Yeah, actually quite strongly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So knowing that... So I played at tables like that before, where you've got where you've got that kind of mix of more and less experienced players. Yeah, I think it's from my point of view. Obviously, I wanted to pick a character that I would enjoy playing. So I started to lock that into place. I thought I've had this sort of idea for a character for some time. I like the kind of mechanics behind this character, but I'd also like to be in a position that I could lend like role play assistance, as well as game mechanical help uh, to the new players as well. So it's useful if your character can be one of the, the more louder or at least the more conversant, uh, more chatty, maybe slightly more charismatic, not necessarily nice or charming, yeah. because this can encourage uh, newer players to to see what is possible as far as the the talking side goes. I think it's it's a good way to bring others into the the sort of immersive nature of a role play game like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. so so I, I really I think that was that that was probably the the key thing that I ended up thinking about. I ended yeah. up tailoring my character to be enjoyable for myself to play, but also he was in a position where if someone was unsure of how they should act or just wanted to keep their own dialogue quite minimal, 
this particular character could step in and fill the breach if needed. If needed, um, yeah. yeah. It's fine if you just drop out of character and say, and just give sort of a, a friendly hint, say, well, well, you could say something like this, try this at this point. That's but right, I think yeah. It's nice if you can sort of preempt that sort of behaviour, continue to stick to your role-play character to oil the wheels. And what character were you? What did you decide on in the end? Well, he was a fair old treat. Um, so he was a, uh, a satyr barbarian. So what, what better than a sort of, um, you know, a randy, drunken, naked, poofed, bearded boy wielding a club who likes to rush into battle in the nude? Yeah. <laughs> that, for me, sold it. It was like, yeah, I'm totally there. This is the character I'm going to play here. Yeah, um, yeah. And in truth, he could have been a little bit more, um, he could have been louder and more obnoxious and more drunken and a little bit more wild. But I also felt that I didn't have to play the character up too hard there and and then force people to sort of come through him if they wanted to get into the conversation. Yeah, so, yeah. so he was a nice character to play in between the other players' sections, I suppose. Yeah. Initially, we were just going to stick to the classes and races just from the player's handbook. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was I was quite keen to do that quite strictly because it meant yeah. things, again, were kept quite simple. You only simple, need to refer yeah. to one book or one set of notes mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, but one of our new players, of course, uh, wanted to play um, uh, like a almost like a deer-style centaur elf. Yes. Um, and yeah. if you are familiar with World of Warcraft, you probably throw, yeah, throw an image up, but the, the, mm. the dryads from World of Warcraft are just like this. They're not like the old centaurs, half-horse, half-man. Um, it was a little bit more elegant, a little bit more dainty, a bit more elfish, a bit more yeah, sylvan. She was, yeah. And um, since it was a brand new player's idea and request, I thought, well, I'll do, do my best to honour it. So that immediately was we were straying away from the standard bog standard rules, yeah, you know, from yeah. the from the player's handbook. But that wasn't a problem. I just managed to tweak tweak a bit of the movement value around as far as the game mechanics were concerned, because the player herself she did say, "Oh, he's not going to cause any problems, is it?" I was like, no, no, of course not. So I just, you know, behind the scenes ratcheted a little bit up there and ratcheted it a mm -hmm. little bit down there and what i changed was the um the fact that the elves can rest without needing proper sleep so you can have something called the trance very so handy. i took that yeah, away yeah. from her character and just gave yeah. her more of a movement speed um yeah. Yeah, which was which was which was quite nice it, it solved it was yeah. very quick very simple sol uh, solution to the problem um uh, but so that of course opened up the idea of well since we've got a new player playing a a, a form a centaur style character um, you decided on the satyr, which fitted nicely because both sylvan kind of creatures work quite well, I think. Yeah, we, we all like a little bit of a dance and a stomp around in the woods, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. real life as well, but, you know. Well, of course. So, so, so that's really interesting that, that you, you kind of scrapped your plans to work with the most simplest form of the characters and tailor what you're working with to their expectations or, or their wants. You know, I, I want to play a character who's kind of like a half deer type character. And you were like, yep, can sort that out for you. Sounds um, cool, actually. Let's give that a go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was, and, yeah. and it worked really well. Um, mm. Bearing in mind the idea of keeping things kind of uh, more towards the book and more in a straight line, how did you sort of set the difficulty for the adventure? The complexity even actually as well. I mean, with, with regard to sort of the difficulty of the mechanics and the encounters that were, were, mm. were strung along the way, actually what I knew from the beginning was that I would keep it quite easy. Yeah. It, wouldn't, it wouldn't really pose much of a mechanical challenge for, for your characters to best the, uh, the villains, the creatures in this mm. um, thing. I mean, there, there was elements of the narrative that certainly hinted that there was something that you absolutely could not defeat. So with regards to the story, certainly there were powers at play that you had no chance of, of, uh, of overcoming. But certainly um, with the adventure itself and how it kicked off and how you began role-playing and chaining together the events, you went into this small village after going into the inn, the blacksmith or the, the carpenter of the town burst in. Her daughter's been stolen away. She's disappeared. They've taken her. They've taken her. Who was it? You have to go and investigate. So off you went. You know, you just got to follow him back to his home, do some basic investigation um, with a few rolls and quickly discover that the tracks belong to some goblins 
and you worked out the direction they went in, which was towards the forest. So that was sort that of the first was... basic encounter, but it was enough of yeah. a... It was okay, a nice run-in, wasn't it? Yeah, and there was enough sort of rolling of dice. Oh, make an, make an investigation roll. Um, you know, make, yeah, a, yeah. make, make a, you know, a persuasion roll to see if you can get some more information out of this guy and what he knows, that kind of thing. And the idea then of discovering the anatomy of the uh, character sheet, which to a new player, again, it can be quite bewildering, I imagine. <laughs> All these numbers thrown at you, skills and little dots you have to colour well, in. Well, and... Think about when you first saw one. I didn't know where to so look the first, at the beginning. You know? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. They are. They remember, the first thing I remember seeing on the character sheet was, oh, look, I can draw a picture of my character. <laughs> that oh, and, then that, and that still remains one of my favourite parts of those character sheets. <laughs> you know, give me an open blank space. I can draw some of their war gear yeah. or a little portrait or where they lived. You know, right. and if, like you're, if, you're, if you're clever enough, and I know your skills at uh, drawing are particularly good, you wouldn't even need any numbers. You could just tell all their stats by how well they're drawn. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I digress. So we, we had the the moment where, you know, the first encounter essentially is just finding out some information. So your mm -hmm. dice rolls go in there. It's quite simple, quite easy. There was no majorly difficult dif uh, difficulty classes. So obviously as a GM, right. I'm there to set uh, the dice roll number required to beat uh, and the degree of the pass and fail as well, which the dice obviously determined. Yeah, um, how impressive your success is or yeah. how abysmal your failure exactly. is exactly how slowly you took how, how, how long it took you to discover the tracks of the goblins or how instantly you found them um yeah. so that allowed for not only a little bit more role play in still in that village setting but it also uh, ramped up the sort of the um, the drama a little bit you know allowed the it narrative really to go did in a bit more as well yeah. direction yeah. you know that sudden yeah. suddenly the change of pace was in there that speaks to the fact that you've you've considered that you don't want this to be aggressively difficult. You you don't want the players to s suddenly hit kind of a wall. You don't want them walking in. Well, in this scenario, in this setting, you didn't want them walking into a fight that they really had to struggle to win. Mm. You didn't want them to have to work out complex puzzles. Um, or really dense dialogue choices just for them to further. It, it felt it felt like a really uh, nicely laid out kind of curve of difficulty. Yeah. You know, it, it gently got harder. You know, it became more and more complex, I think is the right word. You know, there were more options slowly presented as you unfolded the narrative. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. But our, our group, we followed these tracks. Um, uh, to the edges of a, uh, a fairly grim-looking forest, as I recall there. That's right, um, yeah. And we found ourselves up, upon a, a fairly, again, a fairly grim-looking structure. What I, I really enjoyed at the time, it was very like a classic sort of dark dungeon situation. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, and I was like, oh, this is so cool that, that these people are experiencing this for the first time and and this is kind of this is some of the 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 sort of classic heart of the game isn't it and the foes we finally found in there were pretty excellently classic yeah. um so so it i really liked that as well because i thought our new players are getting the the kind of classic experience you know given to them in a really artful, nice way, but also those of us at the table that were more veteran players, there was enough there for us to get our teeth into as well. So you got through, you went through the forest, you ended up uh, getting, going through the cold, you know, snowy, uh, snowy forest, following the tracks, losing them at one point, refinding them. And then you end up going up a, a large hill to the edge of the forest and you see a tomb, a ruined, that's tomb. right it was ruined yeah on, on, you know in this across a bit of a clearing that opens up then that nice moment again it, it, i considered this bit like an quite encounter cinematic. yeah it was quite well, cinematic i guess yeah, yeah that's kind of how was, i think yeah. when i try and describe what what's going on i, I almost picture yeah. it as if it's a, a scene in a film i almost saw this moment when you then are faced with what do we do how do we approach this because there's about 100 yards of clearing between where we are and where yeah. we need to be so that in my mind was a um an encounter and i was fully expecting which you did perfectly for the season of players to say well let's put a plan together then let's see what's going to happen do we wait do we um wait to see if there's a patrol do we hang around here and 
or do we just rush them? Do we create a diversion, which I think was your in, your choice in the end? It was. Um, it was. But that gave enough of an uh, an indication that actually there is no set um, formula to how you have to yeah, solve a yeah. problem in Dungeons and Dragons for the new players again. So th the whole way through, every encounter really is, was kind of thought out and designed to be with a new player in mind. Yeah, yeah. As I always say, it, while that's the case, that there there was still enough detail and interest and weave of the story that it, it didn't feel like you had made um, a, a sort of a soft play area version mm. of Dungeons and Dragons. It yeah. still felt like our characters could lose their wealth, their lives even. It, yeah. it felt that we were going somewhere dangerous. It felt that the odds were not necessarily in our favour. Yeah, um, secretly behind the scenes, obviously they almost they almost were. There was obviously the chance yeah. that two or three yeah. of them might get a lucky critical hit. But I mean, bearing in mind we had a, a dragonborn warlock. We did. One of our new players was playing a dragonborn warlock. And he did a solid satyr. job, didn't he? He did a very good job. Yeah, we had you with a satyr barbarian. We had the mm. uh, the fawn. Should we say centaur? Um, Who also did a very good. Yeah, played really well. Yep. I thought actually. And, yeah. and then our our elven um, our high elf. Yeah, our high elf sorcerer. And I like the fact that the high elf sorcerer was, he got his sorcerer's power from his uh, uh, draconic bloodline, which tied him yeah. in a way to the dragonborn. Really player. nicely. Yeah. And then your yeah. sylvan satyr was tied to the uh, the, the sylvan dryad. The, the, the yeah, sylvan, yeah, uh, fawn. Yeah. Which was quite nice. I like the, I liked the dynamic there. It added a nice amount of symmetry to the yeah, party, didn't that's it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you all the way along, you know, you're able to ad lib some role play. There's some obvious things where you can role, role play with, but there were also moments where there was you were posed with almost like a blank slate, and yeah. off you go with some with some role Which play. Which is lovely. I was quite impressed actually with a lot of that, and I, I remember issuing out some inspiration points for some of those those moments, yeah. which were really nice to see from a GM's perspective. It's certainly nice to have your players involve themselves almost off their own volition into a in situation the story that you've crafted though isn't it yeah That's, yeah because it means that yeah. i've given a canvas with enough detail that they can then embellish further um yeah. but I mean, what when you see those kind of moments or when you're playing along when you were playing at least what helped you decide on the most appropriate moments to kind of uh, to go into those moments of deeper role play and allows sort of those moments where it allows the rest of the table to get to know your character a little bit. How did you how did you decide on those moments? So most of it, or, or a large chunk of it, certainly was based upon. I really wanted to accommodate and give space and room to our new players there, mm. um, but obviously also wanted them to, and everyone at the table, to understand the character that I was playing. Yeah. Um, so it it was nice right at the beginning. Um, for you to give everyone the chance to describe their character's physical appearance That's right, yeah. um, and, and maybe a little bit about their background if they so chose. That's right, yeah. So, yeah. so that was a good bit to sort of get the character locked in. Then myself, I found there were lots of good opportunities to get, the, to get my character across. I had to kind of, some of them, I sort of, lent a bit harder into because I thought, okay, this sounds like a situation where I've got the space to play this character without it cutting off other people's opportunities to get involved. Yeah. Um, that was a tiny bit of a, an enjoyable kind of juggling act there because the character that I'd selected was kind of quite a, a sort of, by nature, pretty sort of fame hungry and kind of the guy who wants to get stuck in quite early and his personality would have in almost all the situations we came across would have had him right at the front yeah, yeah. yammering away never, it was never in a jarring way though was it it wasn't um no no well this was sort of interrupting proceedings almost no. just to get your moment in there because it was it, yeah it almost seemed like it just flowed really naturally mm, mm. Yeah. well that was a little bit of that was because I think it's a really useful thing to be able to do as a player and a GM is to have just a gentle sort of read of the situation to mm. think, okay, like I, I know there are, there are some other, the other players in my party have skills which might be useful for this particular encounter. 
Like, I'm not going to go in there and start clattering around on my hooves, dancing around, yelling, swinging my club around, when what could happen here is one of them could step forward and bring their particular skill set in and solve this problem. So in those sort of situations, what I did is I wanted to keep the character going. So at that point, he would do the sort of Sator thing by, you know, he would he would look around, grab those last mugs of mead before they headed out of the tavern. Um, Take him with he him. Would start, <laughs> he would start singing a high song as he wandered on, exactly like this, yeah. So, so I was still doing um, Sator things in character, but they weren't at the forefront of what was happening. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there were moments where it was completely appropriate that at the class that I had chosen, the Barbarian, our only like hardcore melee character, yeah. as soon as the combat situation came about, it was like, right, I can get stuck straight in here That's because right, this yeah. is what my character mechanically does as well. And you did it so really it, well. You did it with gusto, in fact. In that first room you came into when you went down awesome, into it. that tomb. Um, yeah. And you encountered that group of goblins who were just... You know, sharp Foul goblins lazing on their hammocks and things inside this this room they they've managed well. to utilize. In yeah. you went, steaming. Oh, there was a little plan that you'd uh, you devised as a group. I remember. Yeah, which was again yeah. that was really nice because yeah. we had a sort of um, uh, a very clear thinking, um, slightly arrogant in in the traditional elven way. Um, sorcerer there, sort of laying out the plan. Which was which was one of my favourite bits actually of the of the whole thing, um, because he did it in such a it, it just such a believable that his character would act like that. You know, it was it was kind of perfect. The plan was laid out. There was some conversation between us all, and then everyone flew into action. I love it how you you sort of, you snuck down those stairs and turned the corner. You saw the we glow did a bit of, of creeping, the fire. Yeah. Managed to pass your stealth checks enough to get a peek around the corner. I saw there was a tiny little campfire burning, which then the sorcerer right. decided to snuff out for a moment. Yeah, the, the kind of misdirection up. and um, yeah, gave you the jump on it. Gave, gave you the jump on them in that That's round, didn't it? Yeah, we we got some we got some extra damage done in in that time. You know, we we got in there and laid about them. Um, yeah. So I think we 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 actually we we all kind of shared out the time we had. I don't think anyone like hogged the table in that way that can no. sometimes happen and sometimes no. that's fine um but i think everyone everyone was a character none of our characters were kind of shy or introverted types so everyone needed to have the chance to do their actions say their lines and even our new players bless their hearts they They've got as involved as you guys did. They did. Um, yeah, yeah, at, the, yeah. at the beginning, of course, as you can expect, there was a, a small amount of coaxing required, but that was only really at the first moments of the yeah. uh, of the game itself. And that by that yeah, moment, they the, they they fit in really neatly. Yeah, yeah. it was really good. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like through this discussion that you were able to achieve the kind of goals you set out as a games master to craft this adventure to work for both new and old players. Yeah. Um, Obviously, with a game of Dungeons and Dragons, the the work of a uh, the games master there, the GM, um, you obviously have to do a lot of groundwork and a lot of preparation. You have to kind of get things ready for eventualities where a single member of the party just goes right. I'm going left, while all you go right. Yeah. So there's always you know little things you can do as a GM to say, well, actually that's fine. That's absolutely perfect. You can do that. That sounds great without actually writing down every eventuality, which of course is impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, a, in a game of D&D. Um, you sort of have, uh, you know, some ideas of what a player might want to do or what they might do that could differ from the rest of the party. Generally speaking, yeah, though, yeah. most parties work in sync and they don't create too many awkward problems for a GM, but story it up, flavor it up off on the fly, um, or just say, sure, fine, go ahead, do that. And if that leads their character into danger and eventual death, so be it. So be it. <laughs> so be it. So so bearing all that in mind, yeah, were you sort of able to kind of achieve your games master's goals with the setting? Do you think? Do you think you you kind of? Do you think you got across the story that you wanted to get across? Did it? 
did the whole adventure take the sort of shape you were sort of expecting or, or did it go wildly out of shape? No, I, I think actually that the um, my goals, I don't really know. I mean, my, there, there are some innate quite... goals as a GM, right? And that is that every player needs to have a good time, right? Absolutely. Um, and um, the, the proof in that is if a player turns around to you and says, I'd really love to play again, that was great. Um, yeah, that, that's done a good deed, of, didn't you? That's yeah. what you want to hear as a games master. But there are other goals, I think, involved when you're playing you run in the game. You want to see that your story makes sense, first of all. You want to see that your characters, um, that you're writing, your non-player characters, your NPCs, you want them to have enough character about them, enough substance to them, that they're both believable. Believable, yeah, and, yeah. And, um, and and on whatever side of likable you fall, so that you could really like this guy or you could really hate this really guy, hate yeah. whether that be a friendly NPC in the inn or the villain. You know, you need to be able to get that across. A good emotional reaction. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And I, I think from the impression that I got during the game, um, I felt like they everybody had a, they enjoyed the game to the point where Definitely. they said, yeah, well, yeah, I'd like to play again very wonderful to hear lovely to hear um, yeah. great that they yeah. had a good time yeah. but i think also that the story was was good enough that it got them hooked quick enough and um, the player character yeah. non-player characters yeah. were it all interacted with in ways that i had somewhat anticipated hoped as well yeah. yeah yeah and hoped that's right and so obviously there was a backstory to it you know that you're you'd signed up to a mercenary gang mercenary army mm-hmm. and you were assigned the you were the red sash mercenaries you were assigned to this particular area to look out for whatever trouble might be, might befall, and of course the game began with you all um, meeting your end at the gallows, didn't it? Yeah. Without going too far into the story, because I could be here for hours. You know, the story came to its eventual conclusion. Um, the story ended where it began, so that it closed. That loop really was closed. That circle was closed by the end of the game, um, and so that in itself was a goal. Can we yeah. get to the end of this story? Because this was written as a one shot which means it's got to start and end in the space of these, this, this time frame. Which um, was really cool. Which can, can be quite awkward because you never know how long each encounter will take um, because each encounter really will take yeah. as long as it has to. Not just the rolling of dice, but certainly the interaction of the players with the surroundings. What the players do. Yeah, how, much, how much they want to they wanna investigate a room. So how much stuff do I put in every room? that yeah, makes them want yeah. to look at it. If I just overload it with tons and tons of boxes and crates and barrels and old bags, of course you're going to look in every single one of them. So I just don't write that in then. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So not it's today. A, so the element of putting those controls in place, it was nice to see. So for me personally, getting to the end of the story and seeing it reach its conclusion and having everybody say, wow, at the end of it, that was my goal really. And that was achieved, I think. You achieved um, it in stellar fashion, Burlock. Yeah, yeah it was, I, I hope it was so. really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it, since it was a one one shot game, uh, it's interesting for me to hear it from a player's perspective. Really, um, since we're in our debrief stage, having played your character then for uh, a period of that one shot, yeah. How do you find that your experience of a one shot differs from a campaign? How do you find that the role playing and the mindset you have playing a character differs from your one shot to a campaign so i think that there's obviously there is a a great deal of difference how how you might decide to play a character differently knowing that in a one shot this character exists probably for two three maybe a long one four hours or something like this Mm. so you have to cram a lot more in um i think for myself you have to consider a character that is less subtle than one you might like to play over say weeks or months yeah. because you don't have the time to layer up all the complexities of your character. I don't think that stops you playing uh, a, a kind of a, um, um, uh, a more, a more detailed, less obvious character yeah. in a one shot. But for me, I really wanted to play something that, that people could quite quickly understand what this guy was about what he did how he looked how he might act in certain situations so i chose a character that 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 befit a one shot Mm. i mean i i totally could take that character into a a campaign setting but i probably wouldn't Mm. i wouldn't 
choose a character like that for yeah. a campaign because I think over time because for me anyway he was quite uh, a sort of like a one trick type character yeah um, I mean no one wants to see um, a satyr suddenly become sober and no. unloving of dancing song and combat and all those sort of things that's no so satyr rather than that's no satyr you know that that just becomes a, a boring sad goat boy I mean I might like to play that character a little bit sometimes but the, it's the long term. That's the that's the slow burn character, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that is the point. Actually, I think it is for a campaign. I would definitely go for a character who I know had some mileage, who you could flesh out. Um, you might work a few deeper kind of faults and flaws into his character. Whereas this, the Sator there, I just wanted him just to to go straight in. And in that way, it's quite liberating to play in a one shot. Because the character was just straightforward and just fun. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. The way the story ended. Could it, go it, on. I mean, it was left at a point where if, for example, everybody on the table sends me a message or gets in touch and says, can we go again? Yeah, can we? I've can already we... sent it, but did you oh, not? I didn't get the memo. Says <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to me, I'd really like to do that again. You know, I want to. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And if it if yeah. it turns out that everybody actually wouldn't mind playing that same character again, we can literally just pick up from a point where we left off. And yeah, at that stage, maybe you could then think, well, all right then, well, let's use what we've already got as a base for a character. And yeah. you almost go through a little bit of that character creation stage again, just to add yeah. a few extra little layers. But certainly, a lot of involvement with the GM. You know, you can sit down with me and say, what I'd like is this, like this, like this. Can that work into whatever potential story we've got? Yeah. And that's the process you would have, as you've outlined, you would have done from the beginning had it been a campaign setting. That, that for me was the most important consideration with the, with the difference between the two. Yeah. It was just getting a, making a character that kind of fit for the short amount of time and kind of get the most sort of bang for your buck. Um, and, and it was kind of liberating and yeah. felt really free to be able to do that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, in summary, I suppose... You had a good time. <laughs> In summary, it was, all right. it was a bloody success. Oh. Welcome back, folks. This is where the magic happens. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So, yeah, this is the segment where we're going to dismantle, tear apart, otherwise discuss a, um, a Magic the Gathering card selected by one of our fine viewers listeners maybe they maybe they both listen and view yeah that would be a joy that would be a joy you both subscribe if you haven't subscribed all you listeners out there we have got a youtube channel as well so please do yeah yeah they, then you can see our faces um and see some of the pretty little pictures that we throw up occasionally <laughs> you just get a better feel for the whole situation although i think you know i think our voices might soothe some people to sleep podcast style uh. what do you reckon I very often fall to sleep to the sound of your dulcet tones, Brumsworth. Yes, when I'm stood in front of you. I've noted it, Burlock. I've noted <laughs> Leaning it. Leaning over me, menacing me. Sleep. That's right. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Uh, this is coming to us courtesy of Alkaline Banana. Pretty strong name. Not entirely sure what it implies, but, you know, I've looked forward to finding out, right? Yeah. Um, this absolute treat of a card there. Oh, um, you, you've got this up? So I have, yeah, look at that. Nice. So this fellow is from the uh, Morning Tide set. Um, it is a white card we've got here. It is called the Shine Wind. Now, before we go into anything else about it, do, do you just want to describe visually what this is? Don't go into detail, just first impressions. A flying lamb. It's a flying lamb. <laughs> That's what we've got here, folks. A flying lamb. Yeah, so what we've got here, artwork-wise, we've got some sort of incorporeal lamb sitting centre yeah. stage, semi-see-through sort of creature. Mm. Uh, we've got some little see-through glassy butterfly wings sprouting from its funny little lamby back. There are stars yeah. everywhere. There's kind of a, a big flow of colour from this thing. And it's got butterfly wings, hasn't it, as well? Behind its sort of, yeah, behind its glassy fairy wings comes yeah. a, a huge sort of cascade of colour from the red. Mm. Almost, I think it's like a red, is it a red admiral? 
um, something like butterfly, that. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. similar to that, very akin to the Red Admiral butterfly from behind nose. And then beyond that, it's got another set of wings. So um, looking at this, I'm wondering whether whether there are multiple creatures here, right? Because the angle of this second set of wings corresponds with this sort of grown-up lamb's face popping out the side of our just central behind character. It, yeah. You see that, yeah? Mm. Yeah, I can't tell if that's almost some sort of uh, reflection perhaps, sort of, of what the lamb may maybe. well be one day. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Echo, echo through like time that. or something, yeah. or a reflection through time. Yeah, yeah. Um, some sort, sort of, of a, hole. Yeah, in, a sort of bubbling void, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's no real sense of where this is taking place, where this lamb's come from, where this. Well, it's not, not a lamb. It's an elemental, isn't it? It's a creature, an it elemental is, yeah, creature. Yeah. It seems strange that it doesn't have any place in the world. It's not grounded anywhere, is it? This is almost yeah. Like, yeah. I think this is quite. Yeah, um, I agree quite typical of Therese Nielsen's work, who's the artist who's done this. Mm, She's, mm-hmm. She manages to pull these kind of very dreamlike pictures off that, that don't have a great deal of landscape going on with them. Um, but it, it very, much allows you, very much allows you to tell a story, really. It is. Again, there is some sort of abstract about it. Mm. I really like the way, although we can't place exactly where this spectral lamb creature, the Shinewind, actually is located... Yeah. We're getting some sort of interesting stuff. We've got a little moon popping out, crescent-like, above its head. That's right, yeah. Like a halo. Scattering of stars. It is kind of halo-esque, you know, which... As if this thing is pure and... Yeah, yeah, there's some divinity maybe going on. It is a white re- card. Yeah, I was going to say, that could reflect the fact it's, got, yeah. it's in the, within the white, co- white of the colour pie. And it is an elemental. So it is. it, it may be uh, an elemental of divine light. Absolutely. A little glowing yeah. lamb. What could be better? <laughs> right for the Stick slaughter. Stick a couple of bones. <laughs> I don't know. It's right for the slaughter, which is sad, but it does look like there's a sort of grown-up lamb, what yeah. most people might call a sheep. <laughs> um, yeah. Poking its little head out the side there. Now, would you say it's a lamb, or would you say it's a, like a, the calf of a now, cow? Now, this now, is... At first glance, it, I thought yeah, lamb, because it's yeah, white and fluffy, yeah. but then the fact that this, thing, this other face, this... Actually, it's actually it a cow's head. Proper bovine, it. doesn't it? it really yeah, does. yeah, yeah. In it could well be a lamb. It might be a lamb and a cow. Classification of, of, of young livestock, <laughs> but yeah, I like I like it to be a lamb. I do. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. The colours are, are are good. I think I like the, the fact it goes the bright it's orange really red of the wings. Yeah. There's a pinky yeah. purple colour in this um, twisting and cycling cosmo- cosmic kind of field that this thing's coming there out is. of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's like a white yeah, green really like that. from this uh, gap in the ground or gap in the uh, the void that this thing's been has been thrown out from, and there's a yeah. bright green of the the, the large wings. So We've really got a bit of everything on there, color wise. I would say yeah, it's interesting yeah. that it's slightly kind of washed out, a little bit muted, isn't it? Almost faded. Yeah, faded. I think that adds to yeah. the incorporeal nature of this creature that we were talking about. Doesn't yeah. It? yeah, nothing's yeah. particularly clarified, is it? It's no, it, it's very vague. I almost think the the stars, the bright kind of glimmer of them, are the things that give it its context. It's kind of astral. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This could um, be something space like, or something that lives in a realm between material up, yeah. and yeah, yeah, perhaps from from some sort of heavenly place. Mm. Um, I mean, moving away from the artwork as much as I'd like yeah. to talk more about it. I think we the mechanics could do for many years. And, so yeah, we, yeah. we probably could. The mechanics and the um, the, the rules re- relating to this this elemental creature, it's a common card. It's interesting, isn't one. it? Yeah, um, it is common. Yeah, and for a common card to have this much rules text on it is quite unusual. So it's a creature elemental. It's actually a zero zero, which means it's got no no toughness, no, no power, yeah. no stats. So if you were to um, have a zero zero creature as soon as it entered the battlefield, it would die. Um, so to stop that happening. The rules say that when Shine Wind comes into play, um, it comes in with a plus one plus one counter on it, so it becomes That's a one right. one yeah. flying elemental creature. Yeah, um, that nice and straightforward. It, yeah, nice and straightforward, exactly. And it also has another set of text underneath that, saying for um, this only costs uh, two mana, by the way, one generic and one white. Um, yeah. So it costs you two mana to play it, uh, and as part of its uh, rules text, it says one generic and one white. So again, two mana. Mm-hmm. You get to remove a plus one plus one counter from Shine Wind, 
to destroy a target enchantment. What do you think to that? I think it's interesting uh, in the fact that mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to destroy it. If you just had a single plus one plus one counter on this creature, and then you use that ability to, to remove that counter, of course, it would kill the creature. So you would, would sacrifice it's a sacrifice, yeah. You would sacrifice the lamb, right? So yeah. So you'd sacrifice it, but you could also obviously you could have any number of cards in your deck that allow you to plow a lot more, a lot more plus one plus one counters yeah, onto your creatures. Counters onto it. Yeah. Um, and that's a very viable uh, build within magic, is that is you know the, the counters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you got plenty of cards that could make this creature quite large with multiple yeah. mul multiple plus one plus one counters on it and then that allows this land to essentially be a, a battery of anti-enchantment um, yeah yeah you know so you can use it over and over again yeah so if you are running that sort of deck if you have got something that relentlessly stacks counters yeah. this this creature becomes kind of uh, a lamb-like artillery piece that just robs your opponent of their enchantments yeah. for a very small amount of mana yeah. um, and does not tap to do so, does it? No, so you can just, the only cost is two mana and you remove a counter. So you can yeah. do that as many times as you like in your go, provided yeah. you can pay for it. So this magical like, little lamb yeah. sweeping across them, just, you know, absorbing. Yeah. Do, do you think it's got some sort of white um, sort of uh, energy flowing from it? Yes, um, yeah, or yeah. into it perhaps so i, I don't yeah. know how i imagine this creature to be destroying these enchantments from a narrative yeah. point of view yeah. maybe it's absorbing them into its into its young chest there like it's got or it could, be, it could be gusting the enchantments away with its mighty wings it, it um, does look it, it looks like it could be any of those sort of things or you know all this kind of enchantment destruction yeah um it, this might be what we're seeing around it that could this be, might yeah. be why the world looks kind of star-crossed and yeah. detailed with all this psychedelia. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I quite yeah. like the way that this um, card almost tells you a picture, gives you a picture of what might be, as if when it comes yeah. into play okay. with a plus one plus one counter, it just has those tiny little wings, those one use, yeah. Yeah. Uh, fairy wings. But it gets another plus one plus one counter on it, becomes yeah. stronger, more powerful. Yeah. And then it gets mm. another plus one plus one counter. It becomes this giant winged lamb that. Could potentially then um, be that larger bovine creature in the distance. Yeah, so it almost yeah. like it's uh, an abstract tale of what could be future, past, present, all in one. All wrapped up in a, a tiny little livestock critter, which I think is really cute. <laughs> a livestock critter, um, yeah. But but also the card looks beautiful. Yeah, it's it's been a really interesting one to unpack, actually, isn't it? Mm. And yeah, it's quite cute. playable, right? cute but chaotic and yes i think playable certainly i mean for me i reckon i if i had to put it out of 10 i reckon yeah. probably about seven to be honest with wow you. okay um yeah. i quite like this if, if, if the build's got to be right so you've got to have lots of support cards for it this would probably, yes, be, probably be um a sideboard card for me if i'm yeah, playing a deck that uses lots of plus one plus yeah. one counters if i come up yeah. against the deck that's using lots of enchantments potentially has lots of enchantment creatures um yeah, this could be shout. Yeah. of course you know yeah. destroy target enchantment if you've got the ability to destroy enchantments that could also be an enchantment creature yeah a lot of those in a theros block so if this creature was to be that's right. in my yeah. sideboard there's my removal for a lot of a lot of the enemy's threats yeah. so Again, this would probably be something cheap. i would for cheap as well yeah. yeah and it's got it comes it baked in with evasion because it comes with flying so yeah. it's instantly you've got value there yeah really good so yeah. i'd probably give it about seven out of ten specifically in a sideboard and with a deck that deals with uh, the mechanic of gaining plus one plus one counters but yeah certainly seven, yeah. Out, seven out of ten and i mean any card by therese nielsen in my opinion is just gold because she's a fabulous Solid. artist she's done yeah. an absolutely amazing work as she always does with yeah. her with her, with her yeah. magic cards yeah it's really beautiful imagine that thing blown up on the size that it was sort of painted at or crafted at i wonder you know, what size it was when it was originally done oh, imagine having it on your living room wall you know Bigger than you and I stood on each other's shoulders. Burn it on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, would you? Huge, great astral lamb butterfly beast looking down on you. Yeah, it's like, very, very pretty. And uh, Therese Nielsen being one of the sweethearts of um, uh, the yes. magic community. Um, yeah. Everybody yeah, yeah. loves her work. So great job, Therese, as always. Perfect job. Nicely done. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll give her a big old nod, won't we? A big <laughs> nod. And thank you to the Alkaline Banana for uh, providing us with this. Uh, 
with his fine shine wender. Thank you, Alkaline Banana. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it was right treat. Grumsworth. Burlock. I come bearing tidings. Tidings? Tidings of what sort? That our time is drifting close to the end. Oh no. Like the shine wind, the shine wind approaches on the horizon, ready to sweep us away like an enchantment. Does it come, I was going to say, does it come to destroy our enchantments? Yeah. I always knew I'd end at the hands of a lamb. I knew it. That's it. I mean, it's probably Father Time again though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. We're going to have to yeah, get rid of it and say our goodbyes. Um, to all of our wonderful listeners, wonderful viewers. It's been uh, good fun, once again, to bring you another episode of The pleasure. Preamble. Yeah. How have yeah, you found right today? Treat. Are you asking me or the viewers, Burlock? Maybe a bit of both. How have you <laughs> found today? Let us know. Send us an email. Yeah, let us our know. Our details yeah, yeah. are below us. Uh, you can send us an email. You can get in touch with us on our YouTube comments. Um, you yeah, please comment do. there if you yeah. need to. Um, you can uh, catch us on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. We're all, all on there at The Preamble. Yeah, so I think that gives us um, one last order of business. One, to, one last uh, duty, isn't it? Duty. Yeah, yeah. And that is our, um, our typical quote that we uh, leave you fair folk <laughs> with as That's we right. depart from your lives on this day. Um, I mean, hopefully you'll come back and let us back into your lives on another day. But, you know, we're not... We're not pushing. We're not too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Let us in if you fancy it. If not, <laughs> yeah, we don't come banging on doors. We knock gently. We do thrice. Yeah, three small knocks. Okay, then I'm going to bid you all fair evening. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed this. Um, tune in next week for the next one. Hopefully, we'll have yeah. some more interesting hobby-based situations to discuss with you. Yeah, we'll find another magic card to take a look at. Burlock. If you'd like to do us the honours with your finely selected quotes to take us and all of our fine listeners home. This comes from a book, The Space Wolves Codex. And I will read you a small excerpt. And this is entitled The Last Words of Layman Russ, the Primarch of the Space Wolves chapter. Listen, but closely, brothers, for my life's breath is all but spent. There shall come a time far from now when our chapter itself is dying, even as I am now dying, and our foes shall gather to destroy us. Then, my children, I shall listen for your call, in whatever realm of death holds me, and come I shall, no matter what the laws of life and death forbid. At the end, I will be there for the final battle for the wolf time. You've been listening to The Preamble, Find us on YouTube, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms. And if you want to contact us, just send an email to thepreamble at gmail.com or find us at The Preamble on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Your hosts were Grumsworth and Burlock, brought to you by roguesgaming.com. Special thanks to our contributors, our spotlight artist, and of course, to all of you. See you next time.